Hi everyone, I'm Mark Cooper from Bivar RE and welcome to this latest episode in our Rethink Energy podcast series. In this episode, we are talking floating solar, a pretty recent but very much growing trend in the renewable energy sector. Joining me to talk about this topic is our very own Benedict Altman, our Global Director of Solar Projects. I really hope you enjoy this episode. You can check out other podcasts and content at rethink-energy.com and follow us on social media to join the debate. Welcome, Benedict. Yeah, hi, Mark. Good day. So let's dive straight in. Floating solar. I was looking at some figures on the rise of floating solar capacity globally and can see that as recently as 2014, there was just 10 megawatts installed. Then we see from 2015, the graph really starts to take off. And by the end of last year, we jumped to 2.5 gigawatts of floating um, installed globally. So in terms of what's proving so attractive and, and why now for floating, um, what is it, Benedict? Why, why is floating just really starting to expand so much now? Well, I mean, the main reason for that is, of course, that the price development of solar equipment became so attractive and so cheap uh, that it, it's now affordable to apply uh, solar panels nearly everywhere, uh, on houses, on facades, and also on water. And, uh, of course, there are specific advantages to do it on water because we have obviously a flat area where to install and we are avoiding uh, uses which are in kind of competition to what um, the electricity production would be, such as agriculture uses and so forth. So is generating solar on water more efficient? I mean, what's, what's the benefits of generating solar on water rather than on the land? Well, historically, actually, if you can say, if you can use this word historically, um, we are only talking about like four years. It was, of course, the accessibility of land and the development cost and time you need in order to develop land. So people were trying to search for alternatives. That was the original kind of reason why water bodies came into into the focus. But doing so, we also experienced that there are some advantages uh, when you go on water, but that's that's quite uh, location specific. There are some areas where it is beneficial for the lake if it gets shadowed by the panels because the temperature of the water is not rising that much, there's not so many algae growing in the water, etc. Um, also, when we look at the productivity on, of the solar system itself, it gives a higher performance ratio, so the uh, output of the panels on water are slightly better than if they would stand next to the water and so forth. So there are some effects which are actually beneficial for both the usage of the lake and the usage of PV. But as always in life, you always have also like downsides. It's more difficult to anchor these systems and to apply them on the water that you don't really have a big impact on the wildlife inside the water and around the water body like birds uh, and things like that. So it's a complex scenario, but what we see so far mainly beneficial uh, to all participants. 
So we have some key benefits and, and some challenges to overcome as well. But it sounds like the driver for fluting is, is really pressure on land use and the cost of land. So then lakes, water bodies providing alternative locations to install what I guess can still be a relatively large scale solar plants, of course, depending on the um, size of the lake in question. So in terms of the growth that we've seen over the last four to five years, does that typically fit with the model of being within densely populated countries, countries where land is at a premium, and then that opening the door for, um, for floating to increase in those countries? That's true. And uh, if you think about, uh, in particular, small countries like Netherlands or Belgium or even uh, UK and Germany, there's traditionally quite a high value on land. But as historically, we didn't use water bodies for only a few reasons like uh, fishing and uh, shipping. There is no really a value for, for the surface of a lake traditionally or historically uh, being seen. And for that, of course, it gives and also for, for permitting th that gives uh, certain advantages just simply for the speed, the quality and the cost of the project developments in solar. I just had a had a had a, an, an email from uh, some guys from Australia two weeks ago, and they were asking for for floating in Australia. And I had to say, sorry, guys, you have so much land available, and it's so <laughs> cheap over there. I don't think we will have a big market in floating solar in Australia. So there you can see it. It 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 is really makes a big difference in which um, area we look. Um, but funnily enough, having said that. The vast majority of the floating market so far is actually in China. And you would expect that China has also a lot of land available. But this has also uh, specific reasons with the regulation down there. So it's always a mixture of the natural resources, the scarceness of land, and the regulatory framework of a country. So if we look at Europe, we have plenty of examples of densely populated countries where land use is at a premium. But it sounds like, at least at the moment, Europe accounts for a, a really quite small percentage of that global installed capacity. So I'm guessing a lot of our untapped potential uh, throughout Europe. Well, we do indeed. If we only look into um, water surfaces which are used commercially already now, you know, for sand pits or things like that, so and and, and which cannot be used for leisure purposes like uh, fishing and boating and swimming and so we only in germany have already a potential of uh, 12 gigawatt and if you combine uh, all the countries in europe then the potential is actually way beyond 30 40 gigawatt already and i think we will we will come into a situation where we where we will need all these capacities and we will look at them very closely because if we want to make it really happen to have a decarbonization of the economics in uh, the European countries, we will need all available space for um, uh, solar applications at the end. And which countries in Europe are we currently seeing moving fastest in terms of floating or, or have the greatest potential over the short and medium term? Well, at the moment, it's, it's no doubt uh, Netherlands because they have all the ingredients which we were just mentioning they are highly populated they have scarce land because they're a small country they have lots of water uh, which which they don't really have a use of and uh, last not least they have now a, a regulatory framework namely a feed-in tariff which is favorizing um, that kind of uh, installations 
So if you put all these ingredients together, no, uh, no surprise that uh, Netherlands right now is the most attractive country for those kind of applications. And I'm actually very thankful that it's Netherlands because we could make a lot of experiences now there by using companies which have a lot of experience on working on, on water or working in water uh, conditions which I think uh, is, is, has also, also been beneficial to our own development in this floating solar uh, installation. So in terms of what's holding things back as we look at different countries, if the Netherlands has all the ideal conditions in terms of available water bodies, in terms of regulations, etc., then what's holding things back elsewhere? Is it a combination of one or all of these things that are not kind of ideal in other European countries? In floating in many countries, we have to face the fact that building on water is still more expensive than building on land. And for that, if we are in countries where we have to build at grid parity or where the feed-in tariffs are too low for these kinds of installations, it simply is not economically feasible. But this is uh, to overcome over time. Um, then when we look in a couple of years uh, in front of us, we would see further decreases of uh, the installation costs so that we would get near uh, to a situation where we could say uh, the cost of installing a solar system on water or on land will be pretty much the same and then we would be in business in those countries as well. But we are still analyzing this because yes we might be higher in installing costs for a floating but we are also significantly lower when it comes to the operation costs of such a system because we don't have a fence, we don't need a video surveillance, we don't need to cut the grass, and we are still analyzing how the balance would be in CAPEX versus OPEX. It comes down to a point where we have to say, okay, if we are maintaining this, the, the installation for more than 25 years on the lake, then yes, we have a payoff because then the accumulated operating costs of a ground-mounted system will be overall overcompensate the higher uh, capex we have on the floating. So these are the kind of analysis we are doing right now. But yeah, yet we are not there, not right there in many of the other European countries. Right. And you mentioned um, regulation. So um, how does that differ for floating? Do, do countries even have regulations for floating? Most of them indeed don't have any regulation on that because it's so new to to all of us um, that, that nobody has thought of making a regulation for that particular case. But on the other hand, there is existing regulation in place which might work as well. If you look into a sand pit, for instance, this is already considered as being industrial or commercial land. And by that, in many countries, you may build this on commercial land or in, on, on industrial land. But there's other countries which have special regulations with regards to water installations in general. Some of them are actually categorizing a floating solar system like being a boat. 
which is in any case, I think, not the right approach. But this has to be adapted in, in several areas to some extent. But I wouldn't say that this would be a major issue which is holding back the, the development there. I think the most critical one is economically. To mention that, there is, of course, concerns when you approach a municipality regarding an installation on some uh, lake, then uh, concerns rise with regards of safety, uh, of security, of wildlife, what happens to, to, to the animals in the water or uh, uh, birds and all these kind of things. And what is the research on that showing in terms of potential impact on wildlife, on marine life? Um, are concerns valid or is it more a case of a, a fear of the unknown? It's, it's a bit the latter because um, we only have now uh, only a few years experience and we are unable to say right now what will be the long-term impact on the quality of the, the water, for instance, or the wildlife within the water when we cover 20, 50, 80 or 100% of the water surface. Certainly, I think Everybody could imagine that if we cover 100% of a lake, that yes, this will have some impact on the on the life uh, in the water. Uh, maybe if we only cover 50% or 30% of the lake's surface, then that might be significantly lower. But this is all speculation at the moment. So for that, we will have to just try to make our first experiences here, go uh, carefully considering all aspects further on with the development and see where, where it takes us. Short term, definitely uh, the effects are positive as we are cooling down the water and we are limiting the, the radiation hitting the water, which is also beneficial for the life and the yeah, all, all plants live, uh, growing in the water. And, you know, there is an effect in, in many lakes and natural lakes that they are getting overcrowded with plants and then producing too much oxygen and um, which is then something which is negative for all animals living there for fishes etc etc we have the same kind of effect when we are looking into the agricultural activities around water bodies that through the nutrition by fertilizers and everything the growth of plants within the water is too high and too much for the water's bodies to keep in kind of balance. And so short term, we can already consider and conceal that uh, the installation and shadowing of the water and the installation of solar for water is beneficial to that effect because it holds down that effect a little bit. So focusing on the technology side, Benedict, what was it that led us to develop our own technology? Yeah, well, we, we came across several opportunities regarding building floating projects uh, in the Netherlands and so we started looking onto the market what would be available in terms of uh, technology and systems we could provide. On the other hand we saw that we needed in order to have kind of cost parity also with ground mounted systems we knew that we would have to build systems which would be able to survive a minimum 25 years on the water surface. So for that, uh, that was one of the most important criteria for our purchasing. And when we were looking into the available systems so far, we had to consider and to uh, face the fact that none of those systems on the market were meeting our criteria. So we were going back and saying, okay, if we can't
can't buy, then we have to make it ourselves. And so we teamed up with um, our, uh, our mounting uh, system manufacturer, which we worked with for a decade more or more on the ground mounted and developed a floating system together. And I think the specific advantages of uh, the system, which we developed together with our uh, supplier, is that we are not only thinking of how can we make a solar panel swim, but the question we asked was, how can we make a whole generator float on water in a safely manner in a secure surrounding and to make it eligible for a lifetime of at least 25, 30 years. And so we were designing the whole structure not only from a water perspective, but also from an electrical generator perspective, which made us going to a concept where we not only have the panels on the water, but also the inverters and the trafo stations, which is, to what we see so far in the market, a unique technology which Baiba nowadays provides. And looking more deeply at the, the technology involved, um, I guess there's the obvious challenge of how exactly do you build a solar project on water, which no doubt comes with a host of other considerations. So what are those key kind of principal challenges that have to be overcome when you start moving solar from the land to the water? Well, I think obviously if you think about producing electricity and you think of water, it immediately comes to everybody's mind that there might be a contradiction because electricity and water together is not a good idea. And um, so for that, of course, we have to, uh, to maintain that the production of energy and the transportation of energy f from that generator on shore and then into the grid has to be safe at all times and with, with no actually necessity of uh, interference of anybody who is maintaining that system. It has to uh, maintain this by itself, by its uh, layout, design and, uh, and installation uh, matters. So earthing is a, is a very, very crucial and fundamental thing to do on a floating system. So we have to maintain the levels of electricity outside the water and inside the water always the same so that there is no difference in current. If you could imagine like people even if it's not allowed, you could never hinder that people would swim in the water and would maybe try to climb the system. This has to be safe at all times, even if these people are not supposed to swim there. Um, so that's uh, very, very important. But also if you think about animals, etc. so forth. Then it comes to technical issues regarding what does the combination of water and silicon or water and steel and water and copper does over time to an, to an installation. This is something everybody who was ever owning a boat or even only driving it can see that any swimming and floating material is being influenced by, by the water and uh, by the vegetation in, in the water, meaning algae and everything. So this has to be put in consideration because we don't have that on uh, a ground-mounted system, obviously. And that was also new for our uh, technological colleagues to learn how to cope with those uh, issues. Anchoring is the next issue which we have to uh, think about very carefully because as we cannot ram nothing into the ground, uh, we have to uh, make sure that the uh, system is properly anchored. And this actually turned out to be one of the most challenging 
areas uh, for us to tackle because it's um, depending on the structure, the depth uh, and the, the nature of the lake can be very challenging. And for that, I think this is a very important thing next to the electrical issues we have regarding earthing. So anchoring at earthing, this was new for everybody. And I, I think also other uh, installers are, are just making their experiences there. Not always positive experiences when we think about the um, videos which we saw on the internet where floating installations uh, in Asia Pacific were actually turned into flying uh, installations because they have been blown away by typhoons and, st and, and stuff. So you can see that we are still on a learning curve here in regards of floating. I'm happy to say that we, uh, when we made our estimations of the market and our own layouts and design, we were already kind of foreseeing in particular the issues regarding wind and waves and we're trying to make a design which would withstand those kind of wind forces and also a high level of, of waves. But this is also stuff which was uh, new to our te technicians. As we talked about earlier, most of the technological developments have happened in the last five years in, in line with the growth of the market. So you know, all over a pretty short time, if economics are one of the main barriers at the moment, and advancing technology will be one of the key key areas in which those um, economics will become more favorable in the next five years we could see things you know, really moving forward just as we've seen with land-based solar and costs becoming cheaper you know we're now seeing grid parity and subsidy free solar projects occurring all over the world do you anticipate a similar trajectory for floating over the next four five six years yeah, I certainly do. Uh, we, we have to overcome a few more issues. Mainly, we have to push the costs further down with regards to anchoring and also with regards to uh, make the installation uh, more efficient in terms of time and also in terms of using material. For that, we already changed from a pure south orientation of the panels into a east-west orientation because then we can simply put more panels on the same space and uh, are significantly reducing um, the costs for the uh, substructures. And uh, last not least, as I was saying before, we have to gain more experience, also long-term experience regarding the wildlife and the marine life which we have in these conditions. So Summing up, Benedict, where would you like to see, where do you think floating solar will be in, say, the next 10 years? What role could it ultimately be playing in the overall renewable energy mix? I think it will be just one other applications of many different applications we're going to see in the next couple of years, because with the panels getting cheaper and cheaper, we can start thinking of applications which hadn't been economically feasible in the past. Floating is just one of them. I think solar on facades, uh, solar on roads, solar on agricultural land, but using still the agricultural land, solar on highways or above highways. These are concepts which will come to some extent into the game. If you ask me now how significant floating will be in this kind of bunch of uh, different applications, I think it will play a significant role, but I would personally doubt that the market share of floating solar would grow significantly beyond 10% market share. 
Well, many thanks for joining us, Benedict. It's been really good talking to you. Thank you, guys. Um, and thanks to everybody for listening. Um, if you'd like to find out more on this topic and others that are driving the renewable energy transition, you can check out our website at rethink-energy.com. Thanks again and look forward to talking to you soon.